and welcome to London Property Alliance's podcast series. I'm Priya Shah, founder of BAME in Property and a senior account manager at Grayling, and I'll be your host for this session. Um, so firstly, I just wanted to start by giving you an overview of BAME in Property. And so this is an organisation which I created just over two and a half years ago. And it was, you know, purely because when I joined the property and the built environment industry more, more widely, I just found that there was there just wasn't that diversity there. I would go to events, um, the panels weren't very diverse, the attendance wasn't very diverse. And I just I I, I really struggled to just interact with um with people um to engage with the event um i think what you find when you've got the same type of person on the panel is that it's just not very diverse um you go to an event you try to break into one of the social circles but you find that if you've not had the same career journey or the same educational journey as other people it can be very difficult to just start that conversation and it's just about um kind of talking about what what Bain property does what its purpose is to support you know, BAME, BAME people within the industry, supporting them with their careers, ensuring that we are able to progress beyond middle management, ensuring that there is that diversity within leadership, encouraging um, companies to start incorporating diversity and inclusion as key elements of their company-wide strategies, not an add-on. It really should be a core part of it. And finally, one thing that I wanted to mention was the Black Lives Matter movement. And this is something which has not escaped everyone or anyone. And I think it's so important that we that we that we mention it and that as an industry, we do recognize that Black Lives Matter is not just a movement, but it should but it should be something that we are that we are thinking about and adopting within our strategies all the time. And from my perspective, it's a real shame that it's that it's taken such unfortunate events in America and also around the world for companies to start realizing that Black Lives Matter and that just being people in general should be prioritized within companies. But I think it's it's also really important that if this is going to be the catalyst for change, it's not just a PR stunt, but this is the start of some tangible changes within your companies. For example, have you checked in with your black colleagues? Are they okay? You know, this is a very emotionally stressful period of time at the moment. Um, have you um, set up BAME groups within your companies to talk about these issues? Are you openly talking about them all the time as well? Are you um, having continuous conversations with other industry leaders about how to respond to the Black Lives Matter movement? Are you changing your media partners? Are you changing your client base? Are you becoming more ethical? I'll now like to introduce our um, two wonderful guests. Um, it's Trevor Good, who is partner at Ashurst and also a CPA board member. and. Davina Wilson, um, who is property director, property land director at the Old Oak and Park Royal Development Corporation, which I will now abbreviate OPDC. So um, I'm going to start off by asking Trevor, firstly, a question. Um, if you could just share your career to date and really, really kind of focus on what it's like being a BAME professional in this industry. Uh, thank you, Priya. And uh, good afternoon. And can I start by saying thank you to the WPA and the CPA uh, within the context of the London Property Alliance for affording me an opportunity to uh, appear on this podcast. 
Um, and it's quite a timely podcast within the context of Black Lives Matter. And uh, in terms of my involvement um, as a BAME professional in the property industry, I trained in local government, uh, specialising in all aspects of, of local government. And uh, that was at Recon District Council. I then moved to Cardiff City Council, uh, where I worked for a couple of years, uh, specialising in commercial property and planning. And after that, I moved to uh, Cambridge City Council, and there I focused on planning and became the uh, planning solicitor to the council. And I have to say, uh, during the early part of my career, being black provided me with some great opportunities um, to become involved and to express a view and to be noticed. And uh, whilst I was at Cambridge City Council, uh, I was noticed by uh, Berwyn Leighton. Not, I don't think, for the colour of my skin, but because of my skills as a as a planning lawyer. Uh, they invited me to uh, submit uh, a CV and uh, go for an interview and offered me a job. And that was back in 1997. And so I joined their planning team. And uh, that was uh, a chance to continue uh, working uh, with local government clients uh, on regeneration projects, uh, but also working for some of the uh, the largest developers in the country, uh, like Tesco and Grosvenor, and the opportunities that were presented there in terms of the the clients, the access to working with the the leaders in the planning field, both in terms of the bar, uh, planning consultants, architects. Uh, provided me with a with a great opportunity to develop my career. I became a partner at Berman Leighton in 2001, and uh, then I moved to Ashurst at the end of 2008. And I'm currently the uh, co-head of planning and environment. I was just going to um, add. Um, sounds like you've had quite a positive career to date. Do you think um, part of that success and um, or rather, do you think um, local authorities fare a lot better on on diversity and with supporting BAME, BAME colleagues? Because I know that you worked in a few local authorities before moving to the private sector. Yes, certainly. I think that uh, local authorities are far more aware of the importance of diversity, social inclusion and representing the, the local community. And that's within the context of the the makeup of the organisation and uh, an understanding of the community they serve. I think the private sector is very different. Uh, the driver, the primary driver within the private sector is money and clients are focused on getting the right people uh, who they think are going to generate that money. Uh, so it's a, I think it's the difference between working for the community and within the context of not-for-profit and uh, the commercial world whereby the view is taken that um, Let's stick with tradition. And by doing that, uh, we're certain that we've got the right, the right groundings in place to, to make money and to operate effectively. My view is that uh, that isn't correct. That's all ch- the world has changed quite significantly and that there isn't any real difference between whether you're in the private sector or the public sector. It's down to the individuals and it's down to recruiting, identifying and then recruiting the best talent and uh, your racial makeup shouldn't be 
uh, one of the factors to be taken into consideration when making those decisions. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, let's let's hear from Davina and just your views on what it's like being a BAME professional throughout your career. Um, so I started my career in 1996 after graduating from the University of Reading. Um, I secured my first role as a graduate, really fresh-faced at Slough Estates. Um, that's how long ago it was. Slough Estates doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I qualified there as a chartered surveyor. I then moved on to work for another industrial developer, Brixton. But I felt that I wanted to change. I felt that I wanted to see different aspects of property because it was all about industrial at that point. So I switched to consultancy purely to broaden my experience um, at a time actually when opportunities were quite plentiful. So um, I joined Drivers Jonas back in 2002 and I stayed there for well over 10 years actually, advising mainly local authority clients on retail-led and mixed-use regeneration schemes, none of which were in London actually. It was all out of London, a lot in the Midlands, some in Northern Ireland. Um, It spanned a range of boroughs and a range of stakeholders and clients actually. So it's really interesting and diverse work. Um, Drivers Jonas then merged with Deloitte. I stayed there for a few years, but you know, personal changes in my own life. I, I had a child at that time. I wanted to change my work-life balance, so I joined the public sector and moved into the GLA, where I've happily been um, ever since. Actually, I um, I've worked for the GLA family for the last um, well, it's almost seven years now in different roles. So actually in the GLA, within TfL, I spent a short time there. And now I'm the Land and Property Director at OPDC, which is a mayoral development corporation. Um, I think for me, having had that journey, um, what I've noticed is that, you know, at the start, I think once you have the qualifications and you can access the jobs, and perhaps we can come back to this in some of the discussion we're going to have later on, I think the opportunities were there for me. And, you know, as, as something that Trevor said, I, I echo the point about standing out. I think if your technical skills are there and your experience grows, what I felt is that as a black professional, I did stand out because I was different. And actually, in a sea of faces that were predominantly white, actually, mine was quite different. You know, the, the counter argument to that is obviously I didn't see myself. Um, and that's something that Priya, you said in your introduction, you know, particularly when I was attending networking events, there was nobody that looked like me. It was really quite rare. And, you know, I think I was quite a strong character and I knew exactly what I wanted to do and I knew exactly where I wanted my career to go. So it didn't particularly phase me, but I accept that that's not everybody's experience, and not everybody's journey. That's, that's, that's really nice to hear that both of you have had positive experiences, you know, throughout your careers. Um, by, by standing out, by, by being black people within the industries. And just to kind of add, add on to that, have you found, aside from being highly, highly skilled at, at what you do, have you been able to provide different insights based on your kind of knowledge and your background and your, and your history and culture? I think so, yeah. Particularly being within the mayoral family, you know, this is as diverse as it comes working for for GLA. And, you know, I feel very blessed actually at the moment to be in this role because um, of all the organisations I'd want to work for, it's as diverse and inclusive, as I say, as it comes. And I think it's encouraged. The conversations are proactively encouraged about how we can make sure diversity and inclusion is at the forefront of everything that we do in a way that I never felt that it was encouraged in the private sector. So that's the biggest quite stark difference for me 
you know, we have those conversations up front. And it's not just because of the BLM movement. I think it's it's probably always been there. And the whole time I've been within the GLA family, actually, I don't remember a time where that's not been a topic of conversation. Yeah, that's that's really fantastic to hear. And I suppose if if London's population is nearly 45% Black, Asian, minority ethnic, then it's it's only right that, you know, not only right, but important that the GLA is representative of that, just to be able to respond to, you know, policies and different crises and challenges that, that might occur in, in London, such as what we're having right now. And though, though both of you um, have, have shared positive experiences um, about your careers, have you heard from your peers or from industry colleagues about BAME people perhaps finding it more, more challenging to progress throughout their careers or perhaps not finding it as, as welcoming um, in their day-to-day working lives? I, I think there's a range and it starts off, it, it, from my point of view, with actual access to the profession and uh, to the legal profession. And it's uh, highly competitive academically uh, for a firm like mine, Asher. Um, there's uh, traditionally a strong emphasis on the, the Oxbridge Russell Group universities as a sort of core intake. Um, there's the issue of social capital and uh, the extent to which the network and knowledge of individuals within uh, firms creates the opportunity for training contracts, work experience, and the personal confidence and the feeling of expectation. Uh, there's also the financial cost of uh, getting a training contract for many people, it's just uh, uh, very prohibitive. Uh, you know, that's in terms of university, then law school, and then we look at uh, the backgrounds of the uh, a number of uh, BAME individuals entering the legal profession, and they are generally from working class backgrounds, and it's it's more of a struggle. Um, so that lack of uh, th- th- those factors combined with the the lack of inclusion results in a sort of presence of implicit racism and that then I think becomes itself a barrier to to entry and once you're in do you stay because once you join you experience either casual or implicit racism and uh, it's really intentional uh, but it does impact on well-being issues within within the context of uh, potential mental health health impacts and it could then go on to impact on performance and and overall confidence and that's in a world whereby especially with the legal profession you are dealing with what I call the power of the old boys network and there is in fact a clear lack of role models within in terms of BAME individuals to counter that and being BAME there's often a reluctance to to raise the issue of skin colour and you as an individual may feel uncomfortable about it and um, I'm sure the white majority also feel uncomfortable about talking openly about colour so that all leads on to this uh, concept of unconscious bias which then does, in my view, lead to unequal access to opportunities and differentials in assessments and how people are considered for promotion and uh, future progression within the organisation. So in my mind, they are all factors which are there right from the start of your career um, you know, through to the stage that I'm at at this moment in time. And uh, it's being alive to it and uh, looking at what we can do collectively, not to talk about it, but to address it. Absolutely. And do you think there are, there are any key learnings or takeaways that, 
that, that we can take from the from the legal industry to apply to the property industry because as we know it doesn't seem like either industry is doing particularly well when it comes to um BAME leadership so you know we're talking about the um director and the um leadership boards yeah and uh, you know i think in reality uh the legal profession is failing uh if you look at the uh the number of black judges uh, or BAME judges uh very few likewise within the the private sector and this uh, world of solicitors uh, very few uh, leaders in terms of uh, within management are vain and uh, again that is something that that needs to be addressed and I think one of the ways of addressing it is by looking at how firms have approached gender equality uh, they've been setting very clear targets and monitoring the success they are actually delivering success they are making noticeable changes in gender equality in the number of women that are there in management positions um within organizations and mine is a, a great example of um of success within the context of setting goals and and taking very positive action to achieve those goals and i think that's the same approach should apply in respect of that uh, BAME individuals we we've, we've got to make those con- set the concrete targets and deliver yeah absolutely i think there's there's two sides of that story um you know there's there's the side which says you know something has to come first you've you've got to have targets to enable that push but on the other side you've got you know people individuals companies saying we don't just want to have a quota and you know some some groups such as you know females or ethnic minorities feel like they've just been put into a company purely based on that identification. So Davina, what's what's your views on having targets for ethnic minorities, you know, similar to what companies have done on gender balance? It's a difficult one, this, isn't it? Because you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But exactly. uh, I mean, personally, I think there's an awful lot of discussion about strategies, but not a lot of discussion about actually making organisations accountable for what they've done. And I think that's possibly where organisations perhaps let themselves down because they have a strategy and how who knows whether it's been delivered or not there's absolutely no follow-on accountability or um, acknowledgement that actually they have to address what's in that strategy proactively so that people can see that something's been done about it so um, I think there's an awful lot of chatter there's an awful lot of chatter that doesn't actually deliver is my view and actually for a company and an organization to take this really seriously they need to be accountable how else is it going to work how else is change going to be affected yes yeah i can certainly see where you're coming from and just to just to pick up on the black lives matter movement again have have either of you seen within your own organizations just changes in attitudes from your um white white colleagues in in particular but just as as an organization as a whole you know what what different things are you doing to support the movement and to and to support bame bame colleagues more generally we're taking it really seriously at OPDC um, because I think for us it's it's not only developing an understanding of the movement, um, but it's also it's for me it's more about its significance, you know, because when a population understands its significance, then the movement becomes real, doesn't it? It has a real purpose, and they understand why it's happening. And I think for me, um, you know, as you would expect within the JLA group, it, it's quite high on the agenda, ensuring that you know internally colleagues 
actually have a space to talk about this because it is it is upsetting it is awkward it's bringing up conversations about racism that people perhaps don't want to bring up but you know and we've had one of these sessions already actually so this is quite a timely discussion we're having and you know it was quite an emotional honest and actually very moving conversation but I think that happened because staff within our organization feel um, they feel respected they feel able to um, talk to their colleagues in that way because it is a very inclusive environment. Um, I'm not sure that that would have happened in other organisations I've worked in, but I, I, I feel very happy that actually it's happened in the one that I'm in. Um, we're, we're also talking about having very proactive diversity leads. We're in the process of setting these up. So, um, And those diversity leads would be um, at the centre really of organising what I think is quite critical to this it's education you know which can take a variety of forms from you know as Trevor's mentioned already the unconscious bias uh, training that um, from an HR side right through to educational talks either related to your industry or not so that you can actually underpin this whole issue of significance what's the significance of Black Lives Matters um, and then externally thinking about how we put diverse, and these are ideas from colleagues actually within the organisation, how we put diversity and inclusion right at the centre of our agendas when we're talking at project meetings, you know, thinking about um, our own sort of anti-racism and inclusion practices, putting it at the heart of our engagements that we have with the local communities. And also um, thinking about how our experiences and how our own experience um, can proactively support same businesses within our community, within the OPDC area. So we are taking it quite seriously. And I think there are a whole host of things that we want to do. And we're absolutely starting those conversations as an organisation. Amazing. That, that's, that's really promising and positive to hear. And Trevor, you know, are there, are there any things that Ashurst is doing currently? Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I think I, I have to say I've been very impressed with the uh, reaction of the wider legal community. Uh, so many firms have written open letters um, expressing their desire to ensure that they do more to help and uh, get a better understanding of what they can do to address and redress the, the imbalance. And um, uh, we received a, a letter from our managing partner and, uh, and from our chairman and from the managing partner of the, of the London office. Uh, inviting a conversation, encouraging people to talk about Black Lives Matter. Because um, by starting that debate, you are, um, as Davina has indicated, you're, uh, it's sometimes a bit awkward, but uh, ultimately it's for the wider benefit of the organisation. But we actually need more than just starting that conversation. It's what are we going to, what are we going to do? What, are we, what can we do? What can we achieve? And we have diversity and inclusion strategy. Um, we had a group called All That Ashes, and from that we then had a BAME working party. But uh, we've recently started to focus more on the black network and we've now got a group called Ashurst Black Network, which is in the process of formulating ideas as to how we can uh, secure the wider support of the firm to taking clear, achievable steps uh, for encouraging us to reach out to the black community and encourage students to um, enter into the legal profession. And as I said earlier, once they enter, to, uh, to stay. 
So we've got some on-site activities uh, and within the context of training, we're looking at um, buddying within the organization. There's a feedback that we get from exit interviews. And uh, one of the things that we started uh, a few years ago was the reverse mentoring. And that's uh, you know, encouraging uh, the associates to, to reverse mentor partners. And, uh, and that process um, does open the mind. It, uh, it makes you realize that uh, there are so many things that have been taken for granted. Um, but uh, by listening to the views and uh, hearing what it's like for the younger uh, professionals uh, in terms of their experiences, uh, it does encourage you to, to change. And, uh, and that program is something that's been rolled out uh, throughout our firm. And then it's looking at the data, analyzing the data and doing things with it. Because at the moment, the number of BAME individuals employed within our within our organization is too low. And as a, you know, my, in my view, we've got to do something about changing that. And uh, I accept the point that uh, setting targets doesn't necessarily result in improvement, but you're actually providing the opportunity for that change. And as a firm, um, we have a goal of being renowned for our diversity, both internally and by our peers. Now, how do we achieve that? In my view, we've got to start with some targets. Thank you, Trevor. I think these are all really fantastic points that you're giving those who might be listening to this podcast. Um, you know, some fantastic tips on just how to make the sector more attractive and supportive um, for BAME people who are considering a, a career in law just more, more widely in the built environment sector. Davina, just, just, to, just to bring it over to you again, do you have any any tips or thoughts for um, people who are listening on just just how um, how they can take some proactive action on you know how to support BAME, BAME colleagues and those who want to enter the industry as well because I suppose that can be a barrier in itself just not seeing it as as diverse as as you would hope um, but you know still still wanting to enter anyway. Yeah, it, it is difficult that, isn't it? Because when I entered the profession, you know, I, I, as I said earlier, I didn't see myself. I did experience some racism quite directly to my face, actually, from, you know, senior colleagues within the um, organisation I was working in who I should have been looking up to, quite frankly. Um, I was too, too junior and too new to really know how to deal with that. You know, if that had happened now, I'd know exactly what to do. But, you know, at the time, I perhaps didn't respond. And I think, you know, having felt like that, looking back, I think um, it's easy to see how those um, who haven't entered the profession, who may be just as qualified as I was, didn't see it as something for them. Um, and I think education around, you know, getting people to understand what is this real estate thing? You know, can it be a career option for me is something that I think companies can proactively do more of, you know, so that parents can actually encourage their kids to follow not just the traditional career paths that they may want um, their children to pursue because parents may not know about a career in real estate. So I think organisations could do more on that education front. Um, as Trevor's already said, hiring for more diverse backgrounds and maybe that's just looking a bit more um, looking differently about how you hire you know is it more apprentices is it more non-cognates you know I, I, I just think organizations need to be a bit more creative about their di about their actual recruitment 
processes and policies um, to try and make the profession more appealing for those who I feel just don't think it's for them. You know, they don't see themselves there, so they don't think it's for them. Quite a big part of that is probably mentoring um, and also, you know, seeing those in the profession who have perhaps risen through the ranks and seeing themselves, you know, those who have made it into more senior posts. You know, and I think the whole mentoring piece is perhaps quite important there because unless you see yourself in a senior post, you, you never feel that you can aspire to it. Absolutely. I think the um, one point that really resonated with, with me there was just, just my parents not knowing about careers in property planning really yeah. more, more widely. I know when I was at school, when I had my careers talks, um, you know, they were very much the traditional um, careers. You know, I had an accountant, had a doctor, had a lawyer, and I definitely knew that I didn't want to work with um, numbers. So when I had my two weeks work experience at an accountancy firm, the one thing that I got out from that was I definitely don't see myself working in spreadsheets for the foreseeable future. Um, and I think it's it's such a shame that, you know, we are so influenced by our parents. And I think unless you're targeting parents as well, when 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 companies are going into schools, it becomes very difficult to then start um, conveying, you know, your your industry and your and your roles as well. So I think that's that's something which is which is really important. And I think that's that's something which I think companies all across real estate, property and planning should be doing. And it's it's something that Bayman Property has certainly been been pushing for unless you change the narrative about you know young people and their career choices no one's really going to know that working in in property and planning really is a tangible um, career choice you can be very successful in it and I think ultimately it just comes down to how we convey it to people so um, thank you both for your um, inputs um, with regards to these um, first few questions. We've now got some questions um, which have been submitted to us. Um, we did a bit of a shout out on Twitter earlier this week. So we've had um, Suzanne Gill, partner at Wedlock Bell, um, who's asking, how can we turn anguish into action in the real estate context? So Trevor, I'm going to um, hand that over to you um, to begin with. Yeah, well, uh, you know, as I said earlier, there's. Uh, uh, I've been really impressed with the the reaction of the of the legal community, um, and also that the, the property industry, uh, whereby people are writing letters, open letters, expressing their support for the Black Lives Matters, and making um, offers of financial contributions, um, which is great, um, but. That money uh, needs to be used um, wisely and effectively, and so it's identifying um, the schools and the support groups that are there to offer the training, guidance, and mentoring to uh, to, Bain, to the Bain community to encourage them or to demonstrate to them that there are career paths that they can take, and uh, just to open the doors to provide uh, the direct route into work experience, training contracts, and then once they're there, uh, ensuring that they've got that support, the buddying, the, the mentoring. Uh, so it's a combination of the, the, the money that is being uh, offered alongside the, the, the practical steps to, to then help and support. And when I say the money, it could be um, using that money to help uh, cover tuition fees or to help cover the cost of uh, qualification in terms of um, uh, your admission fees. 
because it may be a relatively small sum of money, but to those who are coming from working class backgrounds, they don't necessarily have access to that money. So it's, you know, if you've got a a bursary or a scholarship fund, you can set that up and you say, we're we're going to target it. We're going to target these individuals, these groups, and uh, just as a source of encouragement to allow them to enter into the the property um, profession. Yeah, I mean those. Yeah, those are those are all really, really fantastic points. And I'm just going to have my own kind of add on to this 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 question here. I think you know within a few weeks' time, we're not going to see Black Lives Matter on the news as much. We're not going to be reading about it in the media as much, or seeing you know posts about it on on social media as much. So how do we ensure that this does remain firmly on the agenda, and it's not just you know jumping on the bandwagon? Or it's not just a very short PR stunt. Um, Davina, you know, what's what's your tips to you know turn this into tangible action? I think part of it for me is about the whole unconscious bias piece because you know we really have to raise awareness of the challenges faced from those of us from a BAME community. Um, you know, simply by looking at the demographic of the organisation, you know, what does it say about the organisation and what needs to change. You know, and I think quite a lot of it revolves around the unconscious bias piece. You know, and for me, it's acknowledging that racist behaviour exists. It presents itself in many different ways. Um, It can be really incremental. So it can be the silence when you walk into a room. It can be staff members not being included in activities. It can be the sly comments or remarks that, you know, just go unnoticed, but actually incrementally you take all of those things and it takes a massive toll on somebody's mental health you know especially if the person who has been subjected to that is complaining and then it's sort of it's suggested to them that they're overreacting which you know from conversations I've had with friends and colleagues who have faced this they say is 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 often the way so I think it's an acknowledgement of this and really understanding it and trying to do something about that because that whole unconscious bias piece, I think it, under, it underpins quite a lot of the action that can then happen by the organisation. You know, it's changing mindset and that's the important switch, I think. Yes, absolutely. I think um, changing mindset is is really key. And I know lots of people, um, you know, have been, you know, making those really important moves and educating themselves and, you know, reading the right literature and books and resources out there. There are so many resources out there. There are so many books out there. And, you know, I'm sure we all really encourage you to, you know, get your teeth into these. It's it's so important that we continue this learning process beyond Black Lives Matter being on our screens on a day-to-day basis. You know, this should just be the start of a journey of, you know, becoming better versions of ourselves and becoming more accepting of different groups in society. Yeah, I can say um, an easy thought that I have is uh, when we have our annual reporting in terms of monitoring, why don't we have a line which is Black Lives Matters? What have you done as, as an organisation to help um, achieve some tangible outcomes? And you know, that itself will focus, force those in management within the organisation to have that as one of their goals, uh, not just um, now, but in 12 months' time and on a recurring basis. And then you can hold them to account. Yes, completely. And, you know, this this goes back to the point which was raised at the beginning about ensuring that DNI is completely intertwined in your company strategy and it's not an add-on. And, you know, if, if these are really, really important initiatives that you do want to incorporate, they will feature in your um, company reports because they are 
a part of the company's success. And that's that's how we should be viewing these things, you know, not just something that we have to do because we know that it makes us a much nicer, uh, more kind of friendly culture to um, work in. And that's, that's, that's really what is important moving forward. And we have... One more question um, from um, Liz Neat, director at Deloitte, who has said, um, many real estate organizations are now actively promoting networks of BAME allies to show solidarity and commit to working to make our organizations more representative of society. And I think this is a really great question. She's asked, what do you think makes a great ally and what doesn't? Um, Davina, why don't you go first? Um, interesting question. I, I know Liz and I know she'd make a great ally, just to yeah. say that up front. <laughs> um, so the first thing I would probably say is um, being or having integrity. So I think standing up to racism and actually calling it out when you hear it, because, you know, it's, it's about doing the right thing. And I think if you're going to be a great ally, you're going to say something when um, a remark is made that you feel isn't correct. Um, so it's trying to, and it's also trying to help people question their own racist assumptions, isn't it? Speaking for us when we're not there and making sure that you are actually, as I say, calling it out. That for me would make a great ally. Listening skills, obviously, um, but educating yourself, not only about the issues, um, faced, well, it's about the issues faced by all BAME communities. And I think being armed with that knowledge can only empower you to be able to, as I say, call it out when you see it and when you hear it. Absolutely. So don't be a bystander, folks. If you, if you see it, yep. if you hear it, speak say up. It. <laughs> um, Trevor, what's, what's your um, uh, comment about being a great ally? Yeah, I think it's there to, to promote the positives, um, both in terms of BAME, the BAME community, and within the context of Black Lives Matters. Uh, so often we see very negative Im- images in the media, which just hides uh, all of the positives and benefits ca- that can be derived by embracing multiculturalism, diversity. And the more we do that in a positive way, and you know, the negatives are there, but let's, let's just focus on the benefits that we get from understanding and getting a greater appreciation of the Bain community and what they can add to the workforce, to the property industry. And in terms of the, the, the negatives, what doesn't work, I think it's the, it's the opposite. It's uh, if you focus too much on the negatives and the, on the barriers, on the downsides, um, that isn't going to achieve anything. So it's, uh, my wife gave me an example today. Um, there's a, a group in New York called the uh, a Black Violin, and uh, there are two musicians who are classically trained and uh, just listening to some of their music and and watching their videos. So positive in terms of portraying the the sides of the black community, which are often forgotten, as opposed to uh, the the more negative images that are often seen. So be it music, education, all aspects of life, let's focus on, on the positives. And I think that will itself results in society um, and workplaces in particular become much more inclusive and understanding. Thank you, Trevor. These are these are really, really um, great, great tips about being a great ally. I think from from my perspective, I'm just gonna throw throw a few in there. Something which I've I've learned is that one of the best ways that you that you can be a great ally is not necessarily what you say when 
you know, BAME, BAME colleagues or those from underrepresented groups are there with you, but it's actually what you say when they're not there, because often that gives them far more credibility. So, you know, speaking their name when they aren't around, endorsing them publicly, putting them forward for, you know, public speaking opportunities, you know, sharing their career goals with those who are in a position to promote, you know, this is how you can support colleagues who may not necessarily be able to do it themselves um, readily, um, who may not be in a position to do so, but you're there, you're you're supporting them indirectly without making them the kind of huge centre of attention. I think these are just small actions that we can all do if you know someone within your company who is doing fantastic work why don't you let someone who is in a position of power know and I think these are all things that that, that, that we should be doing anyway but sometimes we forget we get very caught up in our day-to-day work that we forget to endorse people and I think that that for me personally is a great way to um, be be it be a great ally and I suppose what doesn't make you a great ally is not doing any of those things and and just to echo what what Trevor and Davina have been saying as well I think you know you know it's 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 focusing on the positives and speaking up as well which I think are hugely important things to do so as we um wrap up our podcast um I just want to say we've we've been having such fantastic um conversations some some really really interesting and poignant um areas of discussion that we've um, raised. Um, I just want to give both Trevor and Davina the opportunity um, to make any any final comments that we may have not covered um, already. So um, Davina, firstly, um, is there anything else that you that you want to talk about or that you want to mention with regards to racial inequality in our sector or any any areas that you think we we should be focusing on moving forward? I think for me the only thing I would want to say is that I, I think and I'm sorry I keep going on about this, but the GLA group is probably a very good example of an organisation that addresses these issues well and is actively trying to pursue strategies that will affect change. And if there are organisations out there that want to, you know, perhaps look at what, what I consider to be a, a good example, um, the GLA group is probably one of them. Well, my final comment would be to say that uh, uh, recruiting, training and promoting the best people uh, from the widest possible talent pool is an essential business imperative. It's something that we should all be striving to achieve. Thank you, Trevor. Um, and that, that brings us to the end of this this podcast. I'm sure there is plenty more that we um, could be talking about. Um, from my perspective, this has been really, really interesting. Um, it's been great to speak to two industry leaders um, on this topic, but more just, just to hear about their career and their progression and just to actually hear some, some positive stories. I normally get the um, negative in my role um, at Bayman Property. Um, I'd really like to thank um, both Trevor and Davina for their time today. Um, it's, it's been really, really fantastic. So thank you both. Um, and London Property Alliance um, will continue its diversity and inclusion virtual programme. This is not the um, only podcast that we've had within the diversity space. They've also had podcasts with um, Real Estate Balance and they'll be holding one later on this month for Pride Month. Um, so stay tuned, um, do listen to us and do keep all of these important conversations going. Thank you for me.